One of the hardest things to get right when developing a brand is to uncover what makes you different and unique. But if you get this right, it can be the spark that ignites your brand. So in today's episode, I talked to Ernie Harker and he explains how to find your brand spark so you can ignite your brand. Welcome to the Unified Brand Podcast, brought to you by Elements Brand Management, a weekly brand building and brand strategy podcast to help you unlock your brand's potential, stand out from the competition, and create impact. Today, we're joined by Annie Harker, a hyper-creative branding expert and consultant at Earnburn, keynote speaker and author of the book, Your Brand Sucks, a book that reveals why most companies get branding wrong and reveals the secrets he has used to assist dozens of companies to find a clear image and personality for their brands, including the legendary Chuck Norris. Great to have you on the Unified Brand Podcast, Ernie. It'd be good to learn more about yourself, what you do, and earn burn. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. You and I have similar backgrounds, so it's kind of fun to collaborate and commiserate about some of our experiences. Definitely. So background, it's really interesting that my path, like most career paths, don't follow what you would expect. I loved illustration. When I was a little kid, I would draw all the time. And so my career into branding began at the gates of illustration. I studied illustration at university, was pretty good. I ended up getting a job at an ad agency doing storyboard art and comp art. And uh, basically what that means is I'd work with creative directors and art directors to visualize through drawing their concepts of either a radio spot. Wouldn't that be awesome to draw a radio spot? No, draw like TV spots and print ads. So just quickly sketch those out instead of using stock photography to sell those concepts to our clients. And uh, that led me into interactive design. This is a 1995, well, 1993 is when I started in this ad agency. And during that time, we started working with online tech brands like Ask Jeeves and Netscape. Most of the clients we worked with were like WordPerfect. Intel was our biggest client, the computer inside and iOmega and all these techie companies. So I got into interactive design, then that turned into print design. Of course, I had this illustration background. In 1995, I started my own business just as a independent guy. And I slowly added employees And I built that company up over about 15 years. I took a break in 2010 to work with my main client, a pretty large convenience store chain. And eight years later, I left that organization and started my own thing again and kind of semi-retire where I just consult and do fun things that I really, really want to do. That's where I am today. Kind of an odd start. Illustration leads to branding. That's cool. So what what are the connections between say illustration and branding. So what are some of the things that you've taken from illustration that help you with your branding? Well, one of the things I love about illustration is that um, illustrators, as they get better and better, they tend to have a very unique look about them. Uh, You can tell an illustrator by looking at an illustration, you can say, oh, that work is done by so-and-so, or this work is done by so-and-so. So it has a very distinct look to it. In photography, the photographer has to compose things and use lighting and whatnot to develop a unique look. Branding is very similar. The primary role of branding is to help differentiate visually and through whatever senses are available. Most often it's visibly, sometimes it's audibly, but how do I distinguish this company's product or service from its competitors? And so 
visually, if you become sensitive at illustration and coming up with unique looks and feels and personalities through illustration, that translates really well into brand where you can now use all the ingredients or brand elements, which are visuals. And that could be illustration, photographics, icons, logos, things like that, those visual things. You have topography and all the flavors of fonts. You have colors and all of the emotional connections with colors. You have textures and patterns and all, you know, you've got a cornucopia of all these different brand elements that you can then select to convey a very specific emotion and personality for your product, service, or company. Yeah, that's great. So in terms of branding, what is it you sort of fell in love with when it comes to branding? What's the thing about branding that kind of hooked your attention and kept you inspired and interested in it? I love creating marketing materials, like producing marketing materials, whether it's a radio spot, a TV spot, illustration, you know, design and stuff. But what I really, really love about branding is the focus that it provides. There's so many different directions you could go on any given marketing piece. And what brand does is it keeps your messages hyper-focused, which makes it very sharp so you can cut through the clutter. If you know exactly what your company is about or the personality of your product is about, then it limits, it narrows the options for creative expression and messaging of that product or service, which means it's sharper, it cuts through, it's easier to remember, it's more remarkable. So that's what I love about branding. Branding is the focus. Branding is the thinking and the strategy behind the creative execution. Yeah, I don't know about you, but when I was, um, that's the thing, similar, I love that aspect of it. And actually when I was younger, I used to try and do drawings. I'd sit there and I'd be getting ready to do an illustration or a drawing or a design, and I wouldn't know what to draw. And it wasn't until I could ask my mom, I'd say, what, what should I draw? And she'd say, well, you know, design a pair of trainers, design a new football kit for this team that you support. And as soon as she gave me a brief, suddenly my mind was wearing and going off in all different directions. And I suddenly had all these ideas and the creativity came from that. I don't know if you feel the same, but as soon as you get that brief, you have that focus, like you said, it actually is more creative. People think it's limiting, but it feels more creative. Oh, absolutely. In fact, sometimes you'll be in a brainstorm session, a creative brainstorm session. These are the scenarios or the experiences that are made famous on advertising, TV shows and stuff like that. A bunch of people, you know, sitting in a room, they got a big whiteboard, they got caffeinated beverages, and they're going, okay, what should we do for this new campaign? And this is very romantic experience. It's fun, exciting, it's raw. Well, if there isn't a very clear focus to direct and drive that brainstorm session, you end up with a variety of mediocre ideas or really creative ideas that are totally off the mark. And so I compare that often to a gun and rifle and gunpowder. Gunpowder is this highly combustible ingredient, right? It creates a lot of heat really, really fast. If you put some gunpowder on a table, just a little pile of gunpowder on a table and you light it, all it does is creates a little fireworks, little sparkles. But if you take the same amount of gunpowder and you compress it and you pack it and then you put it into a rifle, when you ignite that, the amount of force that's focused through a rifle barrel allows you to create, you know, this little bullet will fly, right? But if you put a bullet on top of the little gunpowder, it just drops right through the gunpowder because there's no focus. So branding creates focus so that the creative spark that organizations have, and all, all organizations have like really good creative people, 
the focus provides the trajectory and the power to penetrate the minds of our of your customers. Otherwise, it's just ma- it's just show. It's just sparkle, and then it's gone. And then we do another ad, and it's sparkle, and then it's gone. So it's the focus what intrigues me the most about branding. But that focus requires decision making, and means we're not this. We're this, but we're not this. We appeal to this customer and not this customer. That's the hard part that most organizations have a challenge making. Yeah, that is the tricky part to get across to some companies. You don't appeal to everyone. And that conversation is the difficult one. So how do you, what's your advice with regards to that in terms of picking your tribe? I remember working with uh, Chuck Norris on his brand and they hired this really, really great sales guy. And um, I mean, his name is Jody. And Jody is super, super passionate and we were ended up arguing about our customer, like focusing on customer. And I realized that salespeople and marketing people need to look at customers differently. From a marketing person, marketing perspective and brand, I need to focus on a very specific type of person, a type of person who's most likely to buy or consider my product or service, someone who'd use it, someone who would be able to afford or spend the money in the price point that my product requires. But sales needs to sell to accept the sales of everybody. If anybody calls and says, hey, I'm interested in your product and service, they don't say, well, you don't fit our profile. No, sales says, absolutely, man, let's schedule a meeting. But marketing has to be a lot more specific. So I think the biggest friction that comes from focusing on customers stems from a sales attitude or sales mentality and versus a marketing mentality. But as soon as I get permission for the sales guy to go after everybody he wants, but the marketing message is designed to appeal to a specific customer type, then I think we're happy. So sales versus marketing. Yeah, that's a great tip. That's really interesting because I think you're totally right. When, with regards to sales, obviously that there's no barriers, there's no focus, like you said, as much. Whereas with marketing, you're trying to focus that message at that ideal customer, the person you're trying to reach in order to create something focused. Yeah, it's a great tip. Great tip. So in terms of your book, so recently I listened to your book. I've got the audio book. I, I love listening uh-huh. to books. Was it too fast, by the way? I talk like a million miles a minute. So. No, it was great. It's awesome. No, it's a, it's so a really good. good book. I couldn't recommend it more, but yeah, it was really engaging. So where did the inspiration come for the book, Your Brand Sucks? Um, it came from while I was working at with one of my convenience store clients. It's a company called Maverick Adventures First Stop. And that's a brand that that my company developed for them. Basically, it's a convenience store. And if anybody knows convenience stores in that convenience store industry, it's very, very hard to distinguish or create a brand for the convenience store. Most often, convenience stores are branded by the type of fuel they sell or the brand of fuel they sell. So a Chevron or a Sinclair or a BP or whatever. And so 7-Eleven is one of those brands that is a convenience store, but not a gas station. But they've done a good job of creating a logo that and in a look and feel inside their stores that are very consistent across the board. The challenge, though, in the convenience world where you're selling fuel and snacks and treats and stuff like that is to be preferential to a competitor who's just across the corner because they sell basically the same gas. Fuel, fuel is fuel down to almost the molecular level. The only difference is adding detergents or additive conditioners in the fuel in tiny, tiny amounts to create a difference in fuel. But each store sells the same candy, cigarettes, soft drinks, beer, 
and other snacks. So why would I go to one store versus another store? And that question was what drove the development of the Maverick brand. And the Maverick brand, for especially for people in the UK who've never been to a Maverick store, think about uh, the way we looked at the Maverick brand was how can we create an outdoor adventurous spirit and feeling so that when you came to a Maverick store, it would feel like you're on your way to snowboarding or kayaking or rock climbing or whatever. So this is the ultimate outfitter place and it feels like an outdoor adventure outfitter. That's what's different from like the top stop across the street that has no real brand or personality or image associated with it. Well, the Maverick brand became so successful that I was asked to present to the National Association of Convenience Stores on like how I developed the brand. And I realized that other companies were very hungry for branding. And I would listen and I'd also go and listen to other speakers and presenters. And I would hear over and over again how important branding is. And they would reference brands like Apple and Amazon and Starbucks and stuff like that, or Coca-Cola. And so, yeah, yes, they're important. I understand that. But how do you build a brand? What are the steps? Well, no one was explaining the step-by-step process. And this was super, super frustrating. And people would ask me like, well, how did you do it? Yes, I know it's important, but how did you do it? And so I probably gave about eight or nine uh, presentations on how I reverse engineered the process that I used intuitively to build Maverick's brand and other brands that I kind of just didn't realize. I'm like, okay, these are the steps. And so when I went through the steps, I actually thought, okay, how would a person, like first step, the first step is to find your brand spark. What I mean by brand spark is what is absolutely unique about your product or service that no other competitor has? That's a really hard question to answer. If I just said, hey, develop your brand spark or find your brand spark, people would, when I was consulting with clients, they would bring to me the first answer that popped into their head, such as, oh, our brand spark is we care about our customers. Are you telling me that your competitors don't care about their customers? No, no, we care more. I go, that's a hard hill to climb because you've got to be able to demonstrate that very quickly and very easily. Okay, other companies would say, it's our people. Our people make the difference. Well, every company's people make the difference. So what's so special about your people? Well, they're nice, they're friendly. So are you telling me that your competitors, employees are not friendly? No, that's what I'm saying. It's really hard to discover your brand spark unless I give you a series of questions that you can answer that in the course of these questions, you'll be able to find it. And so I basically listed a bunch of different questions, formulas to help you discover it. So if you follow the process, you can actually come up with a very unique brand spark. And that brand spark is the first of four primary elements of developing a brand. And that's why I wrote the book, because I felt that there was a need for people to understand the step-by-step process of brand development, not just here's a great brand and here's what they do. That's awesome to know what great brands do. By the way, that's a great book by Denise Leon. She's a phenomenal branding expert. So I highly recommend that book. But having a great brand and knowing what they do can only be done after you've decided what your brand is all about. And nobody was addressing that issue, which is why I wrote the book. Yeah, definitely. I think the brand spark that you mentioned in the book, when talking about that process and, and those elements, the, the kind of the FIRE is an mm-hmm. acronym as well. That was really, really useful. I found that really interesting. And 
yeah, it made me think differently about some of the things that I'd been looking at and how to develop those. And one of the stories that really shone from the book was the Chuck Norris story about developing the brand for him and finding that brand spark with them. And that they'd originally gone with, was it Purity? I think you said in a book. That's right. Yeah. I think that was really interesting story. Is it right to sort of share along the lines of what happened there and how you found that brand spark? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. When I was working as the marketing director for Maverick, so they were a client of mine for about 10 years from 2001 to 2010. They hired me full-time in 2010 to lead the development of their brand in-house. And while I was there, we came up with this crazy idea. My team came up with this crazy idea to create interest for our loyalty program, the Maverick loyalty program, which we called the Adventure Club, obviously, to like, how do we create some interest around this loyalty thing. Well, what if we created a prize that was outrageous? So if you used your loyalty card, you could win this really cool prize. And so we have a tendency to think completely out of the box with my team. And I remember a girl, I think her name was Kristen. She was brilliant on my team. Kristen, I think said, let's do truck Norris. Like everybody knows that if it's Chuck Norris, it's next level. It's like beyond reality. And so we thought, okay, what if we created this really cool truck and not far from our corporate office is a auto shop. And this auto shop was featured on, I think, the Discovery Channel and it's called Diesel Brothers. And so they have a series on Discovery Channel and we thought, well, what if we went to them and had them build the truck for us? Oh my gosh, this would be so cool. And we'd get Chuck Norris involved and stuff. And we realized... If we don't get Chuck Norris involved, we're going to get sued. So we reached out to Chuck Norris, which is very hard. It's like, uh, you know, there's different agencies that claim representation for him. And so it took several months before we were able to make a pitch. And our media buying agency was the one that reached out to the Norris family. And about three months later, I got a phone call from a woman who told me her name was Gina Norris. And she explained that she is Chuck Norris's wife. And that uh, she got a pitch about this Truck Norris idea. And she said, we've already said no, which before this time, I word back and said, no, no, not interested. And we're like, oh, crap, this is an awesome idea. Well, she called and said, tell me about your idea. So I explained the whole thing. And she said, we want to partner with you on one condition, that you help us sell our water. I'm like, you guys have water? She explained to me that, so Chuck Norris lives with his family in Navasota, Texas, which is like kind of like a desert place in Texas. Not a lot of neighbors. Your nearest neighbor is like a mile away. Well, he lives on this great big ranch and he's got cattle and he has, he lives on a legitimate farm. Well, they were drilling for irrigation water for one of their fields. And the water that came up was super, super clear. So they had it tested, decided, oh my gosh, this water is super, super pure. Let's bottle it. Let's sell it. And so they built like a $5 million water plant across the street from their house and started bottling water, but they had nobody to sell it to. You know, Chuck Norris is an action hero. He's not a professional merchandiser. And so they said, we just started bottling water and we need a retail outlet to start selling our water. Will you partner with us? You know, buy a certain amount of water from us. And in exchange for, you know, you purchasing this water, we will endorse and give you your product and uh, give you permission to uh, use Chuck Norris as a kind of a spokesperson. So I went down to our water buyer, our beverage buyer in at Maverick, 
convinced him that we should do this. And what we've learned not long afterwards is that the marketing materials that they were using promoted, by the way, they called it Seaforce. Their water is called Seaforce. And the billboards they used in our market to sell water, to drive people to a Maverick store to buy it, said things like, purity has arrived. And the messages were all about purity. So Gina talked to me on the phone and said, we're not selling, something's wrong. We're not selling enough water. And so I had a candid conversation with her and I said, here's the problem. Nobody cares about purity. I mean, they all care about purity, but if it has a sealed lid on it, water has a sealed lid on it, then it's pure enough. And so that's not a compelling reason to buy. If all water is pure because it has a sealed lid on it, what is the compelling brand spark? What is the difference? And uh, I argued that I think Chuck Norris is your biggest difference. Nobody else has Chuck Norris. And there's a legitimate tie-in. It's not like we've hired Chuck Norris to be the spokesperson for this water. It's like, it's on his farm. It's in his backyard, basically. And it's like a fun story about like how he discovered this water. I said, if you led with Chuck Norris's image and personality, you would find that the, his fans would be interested in trying the water. And they'd stay customers because the water is a really good product. But you first need to like lead with what makes you different. And so I helped them develop a graphic, a, a kind of a silhouette image of Chuck Norris wearing a cowboy hat that we ended up putting on all of his products. And then we had point of sale displays that had life-size illustrations of Chuck Norris in his prime, you know, with his muscles and stuff. And um, things started changing for them. But here's the critical crux of their brand Spark Discovery. Gina Norris is hyper healthy. She's Chuck Norris's wife, and she has a tremendous amount of influence. She is very charismatic. She's like drop dead gorgeous at her age right now. And so if you're working with Gina, you're gonna say yes to everything she says. You know, absolutely, yep, you're right, you're right. So for her, purity, when she discovered that the water was naturally pure and pure water is healthier, that was a personal bias toward healthiness. And because it's high on her list of priorities, that's what she wanted to promote with the product. Yet it wasn't getting the traction that she needed. So a reevaluation of the brand Spark was necessary in discovering that Chuck Norris allowed people to be interested and get their attention long enough to try the water, then the purity became a secondary brand story. It was important, it's an important brand attribute, it's not the lead, it's not the lead man. The superstar is Chuck Norris. That's the story, there's part of that story is really fun. I got to go down and do some filming at the Lone Wolf Ranch, that's what they call his property. Oh, no way. I did some filming and became friends with Chuck. His, name's, his real name's Carlos, so around the farm, they all call him Carlos. Gina calls him Carlos. So if you're tight with them, you call him Carlos. So anyway, Carlos invites me to his home to uh, have dinner. And I love exercise. And I say, hey, is it okay if we work out together? And he's like, yeah, come on over. Let's work out before dinner. So I'm working out with him. And the guy is a beast, by the way. He's like 80-something. And he is like super, super strong still. Because he works out every day. Anyway, so after working out, we have dinner together and uh, after dinner, he kind of like looks at me and he goes, Hey, Ern, what do you want to do? Ern? You know, this sounds super corny, but I would love to watch a Chuck Norris movie with you. And he slaps the table and he goes, let's do it. So like five minutes later, I'm sitting in a lazy boy, a luxury lazy boy with Chuck Norris to my right. 
He's got a big screen projector screen in front of us. I've got a huge plate of apple pie and ice cream on my lap. And I'm sitting with Chuck Norris and we're watching this movie. And every once in a while he'll pause it and say, hey, here's what was going on. And I basically have tears in my eyes thinking, this is the coolest experience of my life. So anyway, side story, super fun. But it helped uh, you know, overall the Seaforce brand got a little more traction when Chuck Norris became the brand spark. So anyway, side story. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, that must have been amazing doing that. I mean, like just hanging out with him, watch, watching the film and stuff. And um, yeah, it must have been so cool. He's just a really sweet guy. He's a really, really kind guy. The antithesis of the character he often plays as a merciless, tough guy. I mean, he's physically strong, but he's emotionally soft as melted butter. That's cool. Yeah, he's, um, it's interesting, actually, because in the book as well, you do talk about those things. What is it, those things that people say about Chuck Norris? You know, it's all the things you say when you're a kid about it, you know? Oh, yeah. Like uh, when Chuck Norris cuts onions, cry. That's it, yeah. <laughs> I remember I was listening to the book, I was just laughing the whole way through every time on the set because I remember being younger and it was, yeah, just those coming out and, yeah, it's awesome. And when you were talking then, it reminded me of, I'd heard um, Dan Aykroyd talking on, I think it was Joe Rogan maybe actually, and he was talking about the crystal head vodka that he does. And he kept on talking about purity, kept on talking about the purity of the vodka and where it had come, the spring had come from or something like that. And it wasn't until, one, that I knew Dan Aykroyd was involved, and two, he then, Joe Rogan asked him a question about the fact, because he's a real believer in UFOs and sightings and this sort of stuff. So she like goes on sightings and hunts information about it. And as soon as he said that, he had this connection of like Dan Aykroyd, Crystal Head Vodka, the guy's fully into his kind of like UFO sightings and stuff. And it was just like, this product becomes so much more interesting when you think I'm buying vodka from a Ghostbuster. It's kind of, it's just, yeah. it's amazing, you know, how that changed it. Because before that, I didn't realize he was involved and it was kind of, oh, this is a really cool bottle anyway. Obviously, the crystal head that it's in is kind of intriguing and it's really striking. But when you hear that he's involved and he kept on leading with purity, but it just reminded me when you said that, yeah. that story. I think we underestimate, you mentioned it. I know that Donald Miller is a huge proponent of story. Yeah. It's like, give us context for your product. Give us a reason to love you. Don't try to convince me intellectually that your product offers a highly valuable, you know, service. Like any competitor probably does the job, you know, in a category, most products and services get the job done. But if you really want people to prefer your brand, you need to give them a reason to love you. And that's the personality aspect of it, which requires a little bit of vulnerability, humanity, but a lot of organizations try to keep it sterile by making it a mathematical equation of benefits and value. That's so wrong. Yeah, I was doing a um, like a competitor analysis type thing the other day and I was looking at this particular industry working with a client and that's the situation exactly. Every single one of those competitors, they are in a holding pattern. They don't want to do anything that is a little bit outside of the norm or the tradition or what's going on. And I was going to ask you actually, because something in the book that really struck me was you talk about the importance of emotion in branding. And I think, yeah. So from your point of view, how do you find that personality? What's the way to draw that out? I'll take a little bit of a sidestep on that question, but if you want to be considered, if you want your product or service to be considered, you absolutely have to be remarkable. And what I mean by remarkable is you have to be bold enough to look and feel so different that people will remark about it. So you want your audience to turn to their friend and say, oh my gosh, have you heard about Crystal Vodka? And what do you want them to say? 
oh my gosh, have you heard about crystal vodka? It's super pure. Like nobody gives a crap about that. It's like, oh my gosh, have you heard about crystal vodka? It's like the Ghostbuster dude, yes. uh, you know, is selling it. That's what's remarkable, right? So organizations who don't have the courage to be remarkable and kind of stick their neck out don't deserve to be successful. Who is it? Uh, to the bold go the spoils, right? Isn't it SAS? Nice. I, think I don't know that. SAS or something like that, right? That's really yeah, um, that's cool. And it's like, yeah, if you want to be successful, don't play it safe. Don't hide and be conservative. Even if you're a bank, even if you're like a highly conservative category, that's even better. All your competitors are trying to be like all stuffy and buttoned up and controlled and stuff. You'll do exceptionally well if you show some humanity and some personality. Now, it doesn't mean you need to be silly. You still need to appeal to your customer and be true to your DNA. But if, unless you're going to be bold, you're not going to get the attention that you crave, that you need, that your company probably deserves. And the companies who deserve the business are the companies who are bold. So how do you find that boldness? Well, shameless plug, just read, read my book. There's a four-step process I call FIRE. Those four steps, find your brand spark, identify your target customer, realize your core belief, and establish your brand adjectives. If you were to do those four exercises, you'll have a really good direction for a brand personality that will be remarkable. And just be brave with those things. Now, the brand personality helps you establish the look. Much like a brand story, Donald Miller talks about brand story and he talks about like, you know, the hero's journey and stuff. Well, there's a successful pattern of a hero's journey that's across all genres, whether it's Western or space sci-fi or whatever, it all follows the same pattern. Brand is the style or genre. So you can have a Western brand, a sci-fi brand or whatever, but the pattern stays true. So then you can tell your story, your way, but using your brand personality, your look, your feel, your tone, your image, so that you can you can stand out. So uh, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And actually it's funny when you said Crystal Head Volker is, is being sold by the Ghostbusters dude. That's literally what I said to my wife when I after I heard that on Rogan, I was like, Do you know that the, the guy from Ghostbusters is saying Crystal Head Volker? And I don't drink Volker, I'm more of a, a whiskey guy, but I was considering buying some because I thought this is, you know, this is really cool. Like he's I love Ghostbusters growing up. I'm a bit of a Star Wars geek as well. So I love kind of sci-fi mm -hmm. stuff. But yeah, it was just amazing how much more of a connection I had to that brand through him just giving a little bit more about the story behind it and why he created it and stuff like that. And I definitely think, yeah, like you said, being bold is really important and not a lot of people take that step. I think people are too worried about taking that step. Yeah. If you're worried about taking that step because you don't want to be embarrassed, well, make sure that the bold step is something that you're proud of. Like I said, you don't need to do something silly or gimmicky to be bold. Bold doesn't mean gimmicky or silly. Bold just means aggressive. Bold just means, you know, outrageous. Don't hold back. If you're the purest product on the planet, then what can you do to go next level, world-class pure? And so you'd use archetypes of purity. In most cultures, white is a color of purity. So imagine if all of your product and all your branding and stuff in that market that views that as purity, like white on white. So white type on white background, just a slightly different shade where everything is like, it's a little bit hard to read, but it's so white and so pure that it's like, man, this is pure. Who is the purest person that you could use as a mascot or a spokesperson or whatever? Or can you develop a character? 
an archetype of a character who represents purity that is like next level. And yeah, it'll get attention, you know? But if you go, well, we're purity, but we use gray and gritty textures and stuff like that. Like, well, you're, no one's going to believe what you're saying when your look is contrary to what you're trying to communicate. All those things need to be in line. They're all need singing the same song or it's going to be a jumbled mess. Yeah, and it's amazing when you're saying that there, my mind just coming up with things like you said about the character or the spokesperson and things like that. And I'm already, you're already starting to think as soon as you say that and you've got the idea of purity in your head, you're already starting. Who would you use? If you were asked to like develop a brand on a product that like was super, super pure, what kind of personalities would you or characters or famous people or whatever would you jump to? Some reason, randomly, I was jumping to Emma Watson was one. Uh-huh. Um, there was also like a, a character of maybe a kind of like a fairy or something like that, like a, depending on the type of product. Because first of all, I went to Dove. So when you were talking about it, I was thinking oh, yeah. Dove. I was thinking Purity. And when you started saying white, I was like, ah, Dove. Yeah, so Dove. But then for some reason, yeah, Emma Watson, not entirely sure why. I think cause she's quite a um, wholesome, honorable yeah. individual. Yeah, so kind of that sort of popped into my head. And then this idea of like a... Yeah, like a fairy, a woodland fairy or something, or elf, you know, things like that. Even if you're going further down that route, maybe that's a bit a too A good far. witch. Yes. A good witch, you know, like, yep. uh, and those types of characters, when you start brainstorming those types of characters, say in a, if you're developing a brand style guide, a brand, overarching brand. So you'll brainstorm all these different things. Then you go, okay, so we've got this woodland fairy. We've got a good witch. We've got uh, Emma Watson. We've got, I even think I'm a Christian and Mary, Mother Mary. Yep. Right? Pure. That I would never want to use that image in a way that uh, degrades her image. But if it was like, maybe it's a religious product or something like that. But if once you have all these different personalities and you go, okay, who's our customer? Identify our customer. And then you look at the options, you know, which option works best. So if say you're, you have a food product that's super, super pure and we're targeting children, targeting eight-year-olds. Oh my gosh, fairies. That's perfect, right? Yeah. Emma Watson will not connect with that, those people, right? So you filter it through the eyes of your customers, and those customers are the ones that will gravitate or be drawn to the parallels of imagery and fonts and colors and stuff like that that represent your brand. You kind of like, our brand is about purity. How do we create a picture and a personality that is super, super attractive in a remarkable way to our most valuable customer, our target audience. And then you've got, then you've got a little story going and you got some momentum. Yeah, definitely. I think my daughters would love kind of a cereal or something with a woodland fairy on it. Yeah, they're big into their um, their fairies and things like that. Emma Watson just wouldn't do that, not at all, not for them. <laughs> no. <laughs> cool, so um, in terms of say misconceptions with companies that you work with, what are some of the biggest misconceptions around branding that you see most often? I think the biggest misconception on branding is often at the very beginning of the brand. And that misconception is that um, having a unique logo and color and maybe some nice fonts is enough to develop a brand. So the biggest mistake people make or organizations make is, is starting the brand process with a corporate identity package, a branding package like that. They call it a brand. And it's really, hey, I just need a, I'm pitching this business idea. In fact, I just, this weekend, I was working for a, a client who is pitching this idea, a new idea to some investors. Okay, we need a logo. We need some concept sketches. We need this. And I'm like, uh, just so you know, let's not spend a lot of time on this logo because it's not going to be the final logo. 
we just need something to represent this business, but we need to go back in and we'll redesign the logo once you get investing dollars or whatever, because we need to understand the personality of the brand first, because we want to make sure that the logo represents the personality we want associated with it. So for example, if the brand is actually, you know, urban, gritty street, then I'd probably utilize a little bit of gritty boldness in the logo design. Because if the logo design is clean and sophisticated and uh, elegant, every time someone sees the logo, I'll instantly get the feelings that those design elements naturally convey. I think that's an important lesson to learn too. We as viewers, as consumers, we don't get to project meaning for a lot of design elements, such as, you know, fonts, shapes, colors, textures, and things like that. Those have inherent emotional content. Uh, So for example, one of the easiest things to do is to drive this point is colors. Colors have a color psychology behind it. Colors almost universally convey specific feelings and emotions. And the same is true for patterns and fonts and shapes, you know, rounded corners versus sharp corners and things like that. Rounded corners are friendlier than sharp corners. Design elements at an angle are more exciting and more energetic because they lack stability, whereas horizontal and vertical shapes are more stable. So colors have emotions already associated with them. So if your brand is about fun and energy and light and uh, positivity, you might choose colors like yellow or light blue or things like that. The challenge I think that a lot of companies make, the, the problem they make is that colors are often chosen by the favorite or preferred color of the person who's the founder or a strong influence in it. So let's say, ah, my favorite color is purple. And so let's use purple. Or my favorite color is green. Let's use green. Well, each of these colors have meaning already associated with them. And if you choose a wrong color at the start and you have like a color palette or fonts or whatever brand elements that you've created for your brand, that's not in line with the personality you want your target audience to pick up, you'll constantly have a struggle. It's like you'll always be skipping a beat. You'll always be tripping on yourself. And so companies who have been in business for a while, it's really important to do a brand assessment. Like any great brand will do a, you know, a brand assessment every few years, but kind of look at their brand Do we look and feel the way we want our customers to see us? Are there values and positions in the global climate or our industrial climate that we've changed a little bit? For example, have we changed to be more socially responsible or environmentally responsible or whatever that we weren't 10 years ago? And this is really important to us now. Does our current brand reflect those changing values and feelings that we have in our industry? When you do that, you can then go, okay, how are we going to change our logo? Pepsi has gone through, I think, probably 20 or so logo changes since their establishment. Every like eight, 10 years, there's a logo update. Lots of great brands do that. So every few years, take a look and see if you're on target or not and do a brand refresh. You may need to change your colors. You may need to change some fonts. You may need to change a few things, but those changes need to be established on the four principles, the fire principles. You know, is your brand spark? Is it still your brand spark? Have you changed it? Have your competitors stolen your brand spark 
Well, those things need to be evaluated. Good companies will evaluate their brand on a regular basis and just kind of keep sharpening it and make adjustments where needed. Yeah, it's amazing how many um, people do that, pick those colors that they love the most. They choose something that resonates with them. And I've, there was a, a client that we used to work with who constantly points towards Apple as being up. We want to look like Apple. We want to be exactly like Apple. We want to look like Apple. They're in a completely different industry and their audience uh-huh. was completely different. Their audience was a lot older people. It was in an industry that was very high end. The mismatch between the two was unbelievable. And it was a difficult conversation to try and get that across as to say, you don't want to be Apple. Okay, just because of what they're doing in their space with their customers, they're perfectly designed for that environment, for who they're trying to reach. The design is good, but what you want to do is you want to appeal to your audience and trying to get that conversation across is really, really difficult. There's a, an exercise I use in um, the E of FIRE, establish your brand adjectives. And the exercise is have each member of your brand trust. So Brands are not created in a vacuum. You have people that really understand your product or service that uh, you invite to be on your brand trust. These are your consultants. This is your board of directors for brand. So usually less than six people, you know, maybe six or less people. But um, one of the exercises is, okay, each person share three of your favorite brands, brands that excite you and ignite you, okay? So each of these people will come up with brands. You might have 18 brands on the table or on the whiteboard. Well, it's likely you'll have half that many because a lot of these people have similar brand favorites, right? Well, under each brand, write down the adjectives that describe that brand. Okay, well, so let's say we have five brands and then you start listing the adjectives that describe each brand. What you're gonna find is similar adjectives under each brand. And then you start, then circle the common adjectives And you go, these are the feelings or the descriptors of the brand, obviously, that it would attract us. So once you've developed all those adjectives, you end up with five or six adjectives. Okay, what colors convey these adjectives? So for example, and and you'll do that for every brand element, fonts, colors, textures, images, styles of images, like is it illustration, is it photographic? If it's illustration, what kind of a tone or look are we looking for in illustration or photography or whatever? But if you have those adjectives, then you can say, can this color be described with those adjectives? Happy, lively, exciting, or is it, you know, deep, emotional, complex, you know, uh, it makes it a lot easier to make uh, design choices and brand element choices when you know what your brand is about when you have descriptors already in place. So like it's a very tactical strategy of helping people craft the look and feel and personality of their brand. Cause they'll always be able to go back to the standard and say, well, yes, I know you love the color purple, but can purple be described in this way? Well, to me it is like, well, let's look it up on the color psychology chart and see if it's universal. Cause if we're only selling to you, then we'll go with your decision. But if we're selling to other people, then we probably need to include theirs perspective as well. Yeah, and that's a great exercise, actually. That's a really good exercise. Because that's the thing I think a lot of people find difficulty is breaking down those barriers of explaining what it is they like about something. So what is it that they, they're seeing when they say, well, I love Apple? What is it about Apple that they love? If you're not in the same place, you're not talking about the same thing at the same level, then you are going to yeah confuse the matter. Yeah, so in your client example, oh, we want to be like Apple. We want to be like Apple. Okay. Let's describe what you like about Apple. And then 
I like this. They're clean. They're simple. They're intuitive. They're all these different things. Okay, awesome. Now let's take those things and let's measure them against your customer. You know, you've defined your customer or your core belief. And I don't mean that as a religious, that's not a religious thing. It's like, what do you believe about your role in your industry that drives you to do your best? That's the belief I'm looking for. And if that's like, hey, we believe we can accomplish our mission, our corporate mission in a different way. Like, for example, your core belief might be, we believe like Maverick's core belief. We're a convenience store chain. We sold gas and nachos and Coca-Cola and Marlboro, you know, like everybody else. But our core belief was, we believe that an adventurous experience unites and uplifts people, okay? So if that's our core belief, that we need to infuse that experience with our customers. And if, if any idea that we come up with, whether it's an architecture or interior design or marketing thing or whatever, if we compare it to that core belief, is it inspiring through an outdoor adventure lens? If not, then we just move on to the next good idea. So I think like what's going to kind of full circles goes back to the focus. A brand strategy provides the focus to help make decisions that strengthen and sharpen the brand so that it becomes more preferential and it stands out much better. Yeah, definitely. I think when you described Maverick earlier on, it was a place I wanted to go. When you explained it, you know, with the background in, I love my snowboarding and outdoor and kind of adventure stuff that when you explained it as that, it felt like, wow, there's a place for me to go now. There's a place that I'm going to go to get my, like you said, get your fuel, get your uh, nachos. And uh, that feels like a place that I'd want to go to do that. And it's amazing how just by stating that belief that you just said, and that encompasses its way through the whole brand, from the visual to the way that you set up the store, like you said, to the personality you're delivering, can actually then connect with the people that are already looking out for something like that. They're looking for that to attach yeah. to, connect with. Yeah, like we're trying to build friends or build a relationship with our customers. And we build relationships on common values, common experiences, and things like that. So I know uh, when you clearly are able to demonstrate a personality, like a flavor, if you have a very strong flavor in your brand, there will be an audience that goes, I love that flavor and I prefer it. I'll spend more for that flavor versus that flavor isn't very strong. I don't taste it very much. So I'm not going to be highly preferential toward it. I like vanilla, but it's kind of a soft vanilla. I'm not excited about it. It doesn't excite me. Well, no one's going to be offended by a very, very mild vanilla. Well, no one's going to love it either. So that's why I mean, I think it's so important to be bold and be remarkable so that you create a passionate following for people who love your flavor. And they become like, I think Apple's a great example. Their products and services do function pretty much and probably the same benefit that Android or whatever, but man, they're able to charge a lot more for their product, a lot more. And we do it because we love Apple's personality. We want to be different and unique. We're not comparing processor speeds anymore. We're not going, oh yeah, um, it has the ability to process at this speed versus that speed. Like no one cares anymore because it, it all functions similarly. They all get the same benefit. It connects me to the internet and it helps me write paragraphs or make pictures or do spreadsheets or whatever. But I kind of like the personality that I'm associated with when people see that I've got an Apple computer or an Apple phone. There's a camaraderie there of shared values. And the values for Apple obviously are more creative. They appeal to people who are fashion conscious, stylish. 
like the Microsoft and the Android people, they value um, function much more. And they think anybody else is like, is ridiculous. They're spending money on things they don't need. They'd probably buy a sensible car that gets me from point A to point B with the least amount of money. And they don't care how it looks. Apple buyers probably want to buy a car that helps them feel good and feel attractive. So not every customer is the same. And so if you're trying to appeal to a logical person, like a Microsoft type person and an Apple type person with a single product, you're going to lose either everybody or no one's going to care because there's already strong flavors that are attracting that customer. Yeah, it's interesting with Apple. I'm a massively on the Apple train. And it, I used to, before the I fully launched the agency, I used to work a couple of days and I dropped down a couple of days and over the time to build it up. And I had PC in the office and at the home office, I had a Mac and I felt more creative on the Mac, even though it had the same programs, even though it did the same thing. Probably the PC was actually probably in terms of processing speed and all that was probably better if you looked at it from that point of view. But for some reason, I felt more creative on the Mac. And that doesn't mean it's not real. Just because the processing speed, like the analytical statistical data, just because that says, okay, this is a faster processor, it doesn't mean that the feeling is not real. And the feeling, like 95% of all purchasing decisions are emotionally driven. This is like there's studies after studies that talk about that. Yet most brands try really, really hard to convince you intellectually of why you should buy their product or service. Great brands don't do that anymore. Great brands just try to share their values and experiences through stories, through images that represent those stories and stuff. But man, if you're in advertising and marketing and you're working with kind of a not the top tier, they try so, so hard to go, make sure my price is big and bold on that and make sure you list all the features and benefits on there. Like, okay, I can do that. And you're gonna be exactly where you are today. I mean, in the future where you are today because you're not giving them a reason to love you. You're trying to convince them and if they realize that 5% of the buying decision was based on intellectual data, it's like, okay, so you want 5% of your customers to make a decision? Because that's who you're appealing to. Well, I'm smart and they'll figure it out. It's like, no, they just want to love you. And then they'll pay whatever. Once they love you, they'll pay whatever you're asking for, but give them a reason to love you. Yeah, definitely. But the, uh, I've had many of those conversations with the features and benefits. <laughs> uh, it's tough, huh? Yeah, definitely. So um, what are some sort of tips you can give the listeners to help them get started on their journey to sort of developing their brand? Great question. So if you're just starting, and I got, by the way, I've been doing a lot of research on personal branding. And uh, whether you're a personal brand, you want to develop your personal brand or a corporate brand or a product brand, the process is the same because the universal principles of branding are the same. You want to stand out. You want to get attention. You want to be noticed for something that is authentic to you or the company. And you want people to talk about you, remember you, you wanna visually stand out. If you're a person, that visually stand out is like how you groom, what you wear, what you drive, what people see. It's also what you talk about, how you talk about it. Are you a positive and optimistic person? Are you practical and cynical? What are some personality attributes that you wanna convey in your brand? Be intentional about it instead of just like most businesses and most people just let whatever the pattern that they've established be the brand. And it's a brand. It's just not very intentional. So the process I would use is get my book. It outlines it all. Honestly, 
it's meant to be like a field guide instructional book to lay out the steps step by step. If you want to uh, get a book that talks about like, once you have a good brand, what you should do, that's not this one. If you want to establish a brand and kind of figure out what your brand is about and how it should look and feel, then uh, get your brand sucks. How to, how to build a brand that doesn't and uh, follow the fire steps. And then after F I R E, you know, find your brand spark, identify your customer, realize your core belief and establish your brand adjectives. The rest of the book talks a little bit about like, once you've got that, how do you build a brand style guide or a brand Bible that clearly communicates that brand to anybody who's working on it, whether it's a third party or your own people internally, like how do you come up with names for your products? What do you call your titles, you know, like product names and stuff that's within the brand. How do you develop a sound, you know, a trademark sound or a brand sound so that when people hear your podcast or your radio spot or your whatever, they go, oh man, instantly I feel something that this customer or this company wants me to feel about them. So you can also get, uh, I've got a guide, free workbook guide that you can just go to my website and download and it kind of gets you started. Get the book to give you context for that guide. I'm kind of on a mission to get people to have better brands because as a consumer, man, I would love to be more excited and more engaged with the marketing materials that are out there. We kind of owe it to each other as business owners to be remarkable, to be memorable and to stand out and to engage instead of trying to throw out a bunch of mathematical equations that uh, they require us to take out a spreadsheet and evaluate whether or not I should buy a Honda versus a Toyota. Like that's a recipe for disaster. Cool. Yeah, definitely. And I highly recommend the book. It is a really, really good book. And I'll put the links in the show notes along with the link to the workbook that you mentioned and all the places you can find Ernie and connect with him and uh, find out more about what he does. And so on that side of things, have you seen any brands recently that have really sort of stood out to you that you can think of developing their brand? Oh my gosh. The one that I love, and I'm not a drinker. I don't drink alcohol at all, but I love Ryan Reynolds' Aviator Gin. Cool, yeah. Just because of his personality and his outrageous image. And he was smart enough to say, you know what? The best attribute of this brand now is me. I buy the company or become a major shareholder in the company. And the best thing for this brand, the brand spark is me and my personality. And so he infuses all the marketing materials with his personality. Now, I learned more about gin by watching his promotional videos. I didn't know what gin was. I'm not a drinker, but I'm like, hey, if I'm going to drink gin, that's the stuff because I like his personality. Now, as far as I know, alcohol all tastes the same. (laughs) It doesn't matter to me. But that's one that I thought, man, he did a great job of creating a personality behind a product that is probably, when you go to a liquor store, how many different brands of gin are there? How many different brands of whiskey are there, right? Like there's that many and there's that many ways to make it. And there's that, are the tastes that different? You know, is it really that different? Personality, like in the alcohol world, kind of like the water, bottled water world, branding is, it makes the difference. Branding truly does make a difference as if it were an ingredient in the product because it changes the way we think and feel about it. It changes our perception. There's a real study about branding elements and how it changes our actual thinking process of how we experience a product based on the brand associated with it. Yeah. 
we did a post about Coca-Cola actually and how they tested it and they told people that it was um, two, two versions of Coke. It was both the same, exactly the same. But they told one group that the Coke was Pepsi and one group Coke was Coke. Yeah, and that they basically, the people that were drinking the Coke who were actually drinking Pepsi, sorry, and the people that were drinking the Pepsi were actually drinking the Coke. But the people that loved Coke loved the Coke one that was told it was Coke. And the people that loved Pepsi loved the one that was Pepsi. And it was kind of, it's interesting, like you said, how your mind and the perceptions of it can make that difference. Yeah, we don't live in a vacuum. We associate so many images and stories to the products we buy that those shared experiences we have, when they're tied into a brand, give us a reason to be attracted to them. If there's not a, if there's no personality associated with the brand, no stories, you know, if it's all factual stuff, like, hey, this cleaner cleans faster than any other cleaner, that story's not going to resonate as strongly as a story about like a three-year-old little girl who puts lipstick in the carpet after she's playing dress up to be just like mommy, you know, like I want to buy that product because I know what it's like to have a little girl who's playing dress up and she steps on lipstick that's been fully extended and grinds into the carpet. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's adorable. But I was so mad. You know, there's these emotions that we have. Great brands will draw on those shared experiences, tell those stories instead of, 50% faster, cleaner, you know, watch what I do when I rub lipstick on this carpet and I spray it with this, like, okay. Cause a lot of business owners, they are working so hard on product development and, you know, I'll make it a little bit faster or a little bit stronger, a little more concentrated or whatever that they forget why they're doing it in the first place. And so telling these shared stories, give us a reason to love the company. It's like, oh man, that girl is so cute. It reminds me of my daughter when she did that. We had a lipstick incident with the wall. It was drawing all over oh, the wall with the lipstick. Yeah, God. yeah. Looking back on it now is, you know, like you said, it's you can look back on it and it's cute. But at the time, I was like, whoa, okay, lipstick everywhere. Someone's going to get punished. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's got lipstick everywhere. It was, uh, Daddy she was is so really proud. disappointed in you right now. She was so proud as well. That was the thing. She was so proud about it. It was like, look what I've done. It's amazing. But yeah, yeah, yeah it was awesome. But oh, it's been really good, really good having you on, like really good chat and really enjoyed the book. And I could do this for hours. I really appreciate you coming on. So My pleasure, I'll put Chris. all your details in the show notes and uh, it'd be good to do a follow-up because I think you there's, bet. there's more we could talk about. So I just really enjoyed it. So thank you. Oh, me too. Oh, oh my gosh. I just looked at the time. It's an hour and a half. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. We went yeah. deep. Definitely. And there's more to cover for sure. For Definitely. Sure. So yeah, I'd love to jump on the call with you again. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. Follow-up would be amazing. Be really good. Well, thanks for having me. No worries. No, thanks for coming on. We just put together a weekly brand tip video series, which is designed to help you to unlock your brand's potential and stand out from the competition. And if you're interested, if you just go to elementsbrandmanagement.co.uk forward slash weekly hyphen brand hyphen tips, sign up and you'll be delivered a three to five minute video a week straight to your inbox. I'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to receive more, you can subscribe in all the usual places. We're talking iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Please, if you get a chance, rate and review. It helps the podcast to kind of get a bit more visibility and allows us to keep on producing these podcasts. Have a great week. Catch up soon. Keep those brands unified. <laughs>